0: Here at Raw Data, we often wade into some pretty big issues, which, you know, is kind of unavoidable when your show is about how information
1: becomes power. So sometimes we want to climb out of the deep end and get back to basics, some basic definitions.
0: This is a Raw Data Bite, a little podcast about empowering you with information. I'm Andrea Mustaine and I'm Mike Osborne. So today we are going to talk about memory. We hear that word all the time, but what exactly is memory? What does that really mean in
2: the context of computing? Well, we are going to explain that. When we talk about memory, that's the part of the computer that allows you to access information and data for a short period of time. With some help
0: from our explainer in
2: residence. My name is Canton Rogers, and I am currently a second year computer science PhD student at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Where we sat him down in front of a microphone.
0: But you you can still hear me though, right Kentwan?
2: Yes, but your video is frozen. Right.
0: I'm sure. I hope I'm making a really really great expression. So, let's dive into today's topic, memory.
1: So, Mike, how do you think about memory in a computer? I mean, I guess I think about it like memory in my brain, you know? I have these ideas, they're somewhere in the background and uh I kind of hope they'll they'll show up when I need them, uh, <laughs> uh, and then I and then I guess a computer I hope is maybe just a little bit better than that.
0: Well, that's really similar to how I think about it, and as Kantone says, how most of us typically think about memory.
2: A lot of the times, we equate memory to how we think about ourselves having like a memory, something that we're able to just store stuff indefinitely. Mm -hmm. But in a computing system, there is a difference between the term memory and the term storage.
1: Aha. Okay, that sounds like it might be a pretty important difference. Memory and storage.
2: Yeah, they basically work
0: together to kind of recreate how we think about how memory functions in us, in
2: humans. Storage. That is saved indefinitely. No matter when you turn off your computer and things like that, it's saved. Uh, So when you start up again, it'll be back there and you haven't necessarily lost everything. An analogy that I like to think about is in the realm of food because I do like food. (laughs) Something that a cook might do or a good chef might do is taking the ingredients that they need for this certain recipe and putting them on a countertop, Mm -hmm. right? The countertop is kind of like the space in memory. Um, It's going to be there. That can be used while you're preparing food and things like that. As soon as you're done, you clear off the countertop, throw things away, clean everything up, but you don't throw everything in your pantry away. (laughs) Oh, crazy. Your pantry is like storage, whereas the countertop is more like memory.
0: Okay, so that makes sense. Can you give me some examples of um, how I would use memory on my computer or on my smartphone? Like, what do we need it to do?
2: Let's say you wanted to open a application on your phone or on your computer. All right. What happens is that data is kind of stored in your hard disk and in like a permanent space. Mm -hmm. And then when you're using it, though, it's brought out to memory such that you're able to quickly access that data. And that allows you to use the application, use that data more freely, as opposed to if you had to keep on going back and looking in storage to get it. That's why you might notice when you first load an app, it might take some time, but -hmm. as soon as it's open, even if you minimize it on your computer or something like that, when you get back to it, it's still working just as fast, because at that point in time, it's in your memory space. Right? You're not going back to storage all the time to access it.
0: You're just going to the countertop. You're not like, I gotta go all the way back to the pantry.
2: Exactly,
0: exactly. Which in my apartment actually would be a really fast operation (laughs) because it's really small. And so let's break this down a little bit into the stuff of which memory is made. And that's
2: bits and bytes. It it is. Uh, Someone was hungry when they were thinking about these things. (laughs) So everything in a computer is saved using binary. Mm -hmm. And so binary is just a different type of number system where instead of being base 10, like our decimal system is, it's base two. Right, so instead of having 10 numbers, like zero through nine, it only has two. It's just zero and one. And so in terms of a computer, when we talk about a bit, that is just a singular one or zero, a singular piece of data. Mm -hmm. And then when we talk about a byte, That's a collection of eight bits of data. Okay. So when you have eight numbers together, that makes a bite. And funny enough, what do you think it's called when it's half of a bite? So like four bits.
0: Half. I have no idea. A half of a bite? That'd be so unsatisfying. A little taste? (laughs) I know. A taste.
2: A little, t- oh my goodness, you could be a computer scientist. That's very <laughs> close, right? I mean, <laughs> so it's 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 called a nibble, actually. Wait, which I that's find- an official term? It is, it is. Oh, that's um, really cute. And-
0: <laughs> the point is, bits and bytes are the ingredients, just to continue this metaphor.
1: Right, so you have all these bits and bytes in storage, in the pantry. And then you bring them out onto the counter into your memory and you whip up
0: a delicious digital experience so like using photoshop or working on an excel spreadsheet Mm, yum i can't believe that all of this is happening based on some glorified ones and zeros that just blows my (laughs) mind
2: Um, i think it's actual magic
0: (laughs) (laughs) it seems like magic Let's delve into some of the history a little bit here because I wanted to talk about RAM, which stands for Random Access Memory. And that kind of changed the game in terms of memory for computing.
2: Is that right? What is, what is RAM? Right, so like you said, it stands for Random Access Memory. Well, we know what the memory part stands for, right? It's that countertop type of thing. Mm-hmm. The random access is telling us that no matter where the data is held, in that space and memory, we're able to access something at the beginning at the same amount of time that it would take to access something at the end. This is not true for storage all the time. Okay. That's equivalent to like, if you have to go to your pantry, you have to scan it from top to bottom every time, which takes a lot of time to find what you actually need. Mm -hmm. And so that's what RAM stands for. And the different sizes of RAM what we can think about is like different sizes of countertops, mm-hmm. right? Like you said, you have, you have like your small apartment and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Which I would say decreases the efficiency that you have in the kitchen. Oh, it does. <laughs> Maybe it's okay if you're dealing with like something simple, like making hot dogs or making cereal, which is my favorite. But if you had to try to prepare like a full blown out Thanksgiving meal with this small amount of countertop or a small amount of memory, that would be very, very hard to do or near impossible. And so that's why having more capabilities of RAM over time allows us to process larger and larger types of data and programs and applications.
0: So RAM kind of changed the game in terms of how we could access data, which changes the sorts
2: of applications that we would build? Yes. And the the applications we can build and the applications we can run and what is feasible and what is not feasible.
0: So what is next? If memory and the things that people are building to uh, harness, hold, do memory, I'm not sure what the right (laughs) verb is here, but if those are getting smaller and smaller... What are things going to be like in the future, say 10 years from now? How is memory going to be more powerful or capable?
2: This entire conversation, we've been talking about memory that's kind of physically on a device, right? But you might have heard the term like the cloud floating Mm, around lately. I have. (laughs) The cloud, what it essentially is, is it's a off-device device type of memory. So instead of having memory saved actually on a physical device, it's saved on the internet. And this might not sound like a huge thing, but it's 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 changed the game where now lots of different devices can be saving all of their data into the same spaces on the internet and having all of their data being processed together in order to make intelligent decisions. Let's say in the future like self-driving cars that can communicate with each other, over the cloud, on the internet, sharing data, processing data. You'll have your toaster in your refrigerator being able to talk to one another to kind of make intelligent decisions about what you should order next. So cloud computing in itself and having that memory not necessarily be confined to a physical device is going to change the game over the next 10 years. It already is, but it's going to be even more so.
1: It is really incredible to think about what the cloud means for all this. The fact that this is what can make self-driving cars possible, basically a kind of collective memory.
0: Yeah, it's like weirdly poetic, but with a dash of Skynet, right? All (laughs) these data from individual cars or, you know, any device, really, all getting dumped into one bucket in the cloud so that all the data can interact. That is extraordinarily powerful.
2: And
1: also brings up some issues with security. I mean, if all those data are getting moved off our private devices into this shared space, that seems like it could be you know, a place where hackers might go. There's some vulnerabilities there, mm-hmm. which seems to be a kind of trade-off. That we often see with technology, there's definite upsides, but there's also risks. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But I, for one, will welcome our self-driving robot overlords
0: if we can use all their shared memory to stop them from tailgating. That just makes me Mm. so angry. It's so dangerous. Have I told you about my invention to stop tailgating?
1: No. Well, it involves... Lasers. (laughs) (laughs) Lasers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how far along are you with this? Is this well, like patents or?
0: You know, I'm working on the blueprints. You know, I keep forgetting to carry the one, but it's going to be great. You've been listening to a raw data byte from PRX. Our explainer-in-residence is Kantwan Rogers. He teaches intro to computer programming at Georgia Tech. A special thanks this week to Josh Stewart at Georgia Tech. Katherine Fenelosa produced this episode. Our editor is Curtis Fox. Ian Koss is our sound designer. Our theme is by Michael Linder at Hat Pineapple Productions. Additional support from John Barth, Genevieve Sponsler, and Ray Pang. Raw Data is supported by the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford University, whose mission is to produce interdisciplinary research on critical global issues. Learn more about their research and upcoming events at
1: fsi.stanford.edu. Funding for Raw Data is provided by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. I'm Mike Osborne. And I'm Andrea Mustaine. Thanks for listening.